Welcome back to the podcast. How's everyone doing out there? Hope everyone is having a great day, a great week. Thank you very much for tuning in with us today. Of course, my name is Andrew Kuhn. Sitting alongside, as always, Mr. Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I was waiting for the how are you doing. (laughs) I'm doing great. We hope everyone's having a great day. Of course, as you know, because you clicked on this podcast, this is the audio part of our website, Mm -hmm. our business. Um, If uh, you're interested in the website or don't know what the website is, it's a a place where investors blog about ideas and and content related around investing. So be sure to check that out. If you want to join the community, uh, feel free to subscribe using the podcast promo code, which is podcast, which will bring the uh, monthly subscription price down um, to uh, $50 a month. And if that's something you're interested in, be sure to check that out. Uh, Today, we're going to be going over an investing topic. Yep. All right. And um, this one's more so based around accounting. Mm-hmm. So you're um, obviously it's a topic. I mean, that, you know, we get lots of questions on mm-hmm. something that um, I think we're always continuing to improve on as you you know learn about different businesses, the way they account for different things. So accounting. So I guess uh, because we get asked a lot, how do you what do you think? And I think it's a good segue into the topic. What do you think is a good way for people to learn about accounting if they don't have any sort of accounting background? To read 10Ks. To read, so you think yeah. even over, even up, but if they don't know necessarily like what each topic is or what each line item means, what do you think what is the best What you do way? is, so uh, Warren Buffett has said that accounting is the language of business, right? That's right. And so um, what I think what you do is you go in and you try to read the 10K mm-hmm. and then you come up to something you don't understand. Mm-hmm. And then you go and you Google that. You find the way that it um, accountants handle that, how it works. Mm-hmm. But you also read the description in that company's 10K. Yeah, that's the best for, part. For the footnote for yeah. how they, they handle that um, item. Mm-hmm. So you really focus in on a specific line item um, and the treatment, and you focus in on the accounting treatment. And it's very important to understand. Um, so not just like understanding depreciation in the abstract, but finding out, okay, what categories of assets are they depreciating? How quickly are they depreciating them? Um, and what method are they using to depreciate them? And then looking up all those terms. Mm-hmm. So, you know, looking up, okay, the straight line method or, you know, looking up all those residual value, whatever, as you run into them. Trying to, like, figure those things out separate from a 10K, it, you're never going to remember them. Mm-hmm. You can go and try to learn those things, but you're going to forget them by the time that you, you um, uh, try to read the 10K. Mm-hmm. Do you think, um, do you care more so about like the cash flow state? Like what's, I mean, obviously you read over everything, right? But what, um, is there a single statement that you spend more time on than another or? No, it's really the relationship between all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess if you could only have one statement, I guess you would want the cash flow statement. Mm-hmm. Although in some cases, if you could only have one statement, you'd want the balance sheet. It depends on what kind of company you're looking at it and what, and why you'd want to be invested in. Um, if you have two out of three, mm-hmm. you're okay. Um, because mostly if you understand the business well enough and understand the accounting, you don't need all three. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot that you can figure out from just two. Uh, but you would need, um, I, I would say, I guess the cash flow statement. And that gets complicated because I think a lot of people go to the cash flow statement and they just quickly f- look at cash flow from operations. Yeah. Right? Cash flow from operating activities. And they subtract out um, capital spending, mm-hmm. and they so that's their free cash flow, yeah. and that's all they care about. Mm-hmm. That's their experience of reading the the cash flow statement. But what you really want to do is look over time and see like the changes in working capital and understand what that means. 
Um, a lot of people get very confused about that yeah. um, because what's showing you is uses of cash and sources of cash. So, you know, if inventory declines and that means that's a source of cash that you had and things like that. Um, for whatever reason, that seems the changes in working capital seem to be very confusing for people. Yeah, and actually, I have a, a question here that somebody did write in, so we're going to include it because mm-hmm. you're talking about it. It says, uh, when calculating free cash flow, do you specifically model changes in working capital, for example, or just assume long-run change uh, working capital divided by sales when forecasting? Or maybe he meant slash sales. Yeah, so, so often you can just do a calculation based on assuming f- free cash flow is consistent relative to sales. I did that for mm-hmm. Omnicom and some previous one I said it. They tend to generate 11%. So so you're saying you, to model out revenue and then just uh, like take a free cash flow yield from that? That one's easy, though, because that's a service business. Uh-huh. Okay, so it's so much more predictable. Is that what you're making? Yeah, the yeah. cash flow issue becomes very complicated for some kinds of companies. So um, some kinds of companies have very big swings in working capital. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned in an earlier podcast, um, Tandy has some some big swings in, in working capital. Um, and, and some companies have even more than that. If they're more of a wholesale type um, business, they would have even more um, uh, swings that even matter a lot more into things like inventory. Uh, but I would say normally, you can normally take a three-year average um, of free cash flow and assume that that's fairly good. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if the business is very cyclical or it has like extreme numbers, like you're seeing that sometimes it has a big, it, it's, if you see a company that uses, um, that has negative cash flow from operations sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Then that would be a whole different thing you got to look into. But for a business that's really simple, like Omnicom, like a service business, you could just take a three-year average. Because mm-hmm. um, it's so predictable. Yeah, do I model it out working capital? For some companies I do, I think, I wrote something where I mentioned um, AutoZone, and I said they were carrying more inventory than normal, and I thought that they would um, end up producing more free cash flow than normal after that because they would work off that inventory. Uh-huh. That's just something I knew because I'd looked at the business for a while, um, and actually if you read their earnings call transcripts and things, they had mentioned that they had changed sort of their distribution thing where they were delivering more often mm-hmm. to their stores. So you knew that that would reverse. But normally I don't um, have to do that. Quickly you can... Use a three-year average. Never use one-year free cash flow. Never. Mm-hmm. Always take a three-year average. It's, yeah. It, um, that's true for most items you find. That was something I learned from you, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially free cash flow because the way it works, um, people can be – the single-year price to free cash flow is so meaningless. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you also like – obviously, I know you look at it, like the cash flow from financing and, and investing opportunity – or investing operations or whatever. Do you, mm-hmm. do you put in any stock, like for example, and when – um, no pun intended. And when they, let's say, are buying back their shares, or like, is there other stuff that you like to see in the uh, in the cash flow statement? Or is it? See, it's, mm-hmm. it's so difficult because it's every situation's different, right? Yeah, and actually, what yeah. we were mentioning, like I, I said, there were the three um, statements. There are actually four statements. Oh yeah, the yeah uh, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Well, most Which companies do it that statement? way. Okay, so most companies do it that way. Uh-huh. So it's a requirement that you have to report your comprehensive income. Yes. Uh-huh. But it is not a requirement of how you have to report it. I feel like a lot of people just kind of overlook that part of the statement. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately, uh, it would have been nice if um, the rule had been that you have to replace your statement of, of net income, mm-hmm. your, your income statement, that you have to replace it with a statement of comprehensive income, which is the ultimate bottom line, and you can have net income higher up. For those who don't know or are unfamiliar, can you explain comprehensive income and and how uh, so the simplest way to think of net income sure so the simplest way to think of comprehensive income is it's basically what buffett is giving you so if buffett is giving you the change in book value of berkshire book value per share 
And that's basically what comprehensive income is. It's including other items, um, which would include, for most companies, there'll be things like um, changes in currency, mm -hmm. um, pension. Um, it can also be um, if they have certain um, mark-to-market things that don't pass through the stock. income. Yeah, that yeah. don't pass through the income statement, but that's going to change too. Um, actually, it's changing for Berkshire, so it'll make it really confusing now. Mm -hmm. They're going to start um, having their mark-to-market stuff pass through the net income statement. So that'll that'll make it very confusing for people because it'll it'll um, commingle their their um, operating earnings with the rise and fall in shares of like Apple and stuff. When you are doing your due diligence, do you like calculate like return on invested capital, return on capital, or that's a only if of, I'm interested in it. Yeah. So you can eyeball those things yeah. and just see that it's a normal level. I don't actually have to do the calculation. I can just move my eyes across it and see that you it see that it's very normal. Yeah. yeah. They're earning a lot on on the capital employed in the business. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like an order of magnitude thing. Like if you are going through it and you see something that looks like ten percent. Right, that's normal. Yeah. If you see something that looks like it's fifty percent or two percent, that's not normal. <laughs> so, and you can see that instantly, right? So once you see something that looks odd, then you can go into Excel and work it out yourself or whatever. You know, it's it's interesting. If you ever read any books on like how to value stocks, like Warren Buffett, they mm -hmm. always talk about return on equity, just right. return on which is is why don't why don't they ever talk about return on invested capital? Because that's probably wouldn't you say it's more important than. Yeah, he always just used the term. Equity. It's interesting. He's used the term return on equity with a low amount of leverage. Right? And that's where it comes from. Yeah. yeah. And he has invested in businesses where that's true. So yeah. he's invested in railroads and utilities, um, now owns them outright, mm -hmm. uh, in which they wouldn't have great returns unless they were able to use some leverage. But those are unusual. I mean, a railroad, there have been railroads in the U.S. recently that have borrowed for almost 100 years, like I've issued a bond that's close to 100 years. So that's an unusual business, right? And so you're able to use uh, leverage safely in those sorts of things. It's like a regular part of the business. So I can understand why people would say use return on equity there. He, if you read his letters from the past, he does talk about sort of, I think what he's really talking about mostly is the on-leverage return on um, the net tangible assets, mm -hmm. which is really how we used in the reports. Um, we literally did return. Isn't that kind of like what Greenblatt's return on capital it is. version is? Mm -hmm. What is it? It's, yeah. it's very similar to that. Fixed and assets. That, that's or... the number that matters. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't really matter what your return on assets are if those assets are largely offset by liabilities that match up against them. Mm -hmm. So that's a mistake that people have sometimes where if they look at it and they say, okay, so um, you have receivables, which is an asset, but then you have payables, that offset is happening all the time. Sure. And so if your payables are almost as much as your receivables, it really doesn't matter that you have a lot of receivables. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the number that generally matters um, in terms of the return on capital thing that you're going to have to look at for most companies is figuring out how much um, receivables, inventory, and property, plant, and equipment they have. Mm -hmm. And then offsetting that, you have your um, accounts payable and your accrued expenses. Mm -hmm. For some companies, you also have deferred revenue, which is important. Mm -hmm. um, and... Usually, when you have a significant deferred revenue, your return on capital is going to be excellent. So. And when you said your unlevered return, are you using EBIT for that then? Yeah, so you can do that. There are more complicated things you can do. We, depending on the company where it was important to us, um, we would sometimes use things like what is it on a cash basis? Okay. Mm -hmm. We would also use things like what if the original asset was never depreciated? So, one thing you have to remember is that in terms of um, your return on equity and things like that, there, the line item that you see on the um, balance sheet for a big company will just say something like property, plan, and equipment, 
comma net or something like sure. that. Mm -hmm. But if you go into the notes, you'll see that there's a number that was gross and then there's a, they've depreciated by a large amount and that's how you get net. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, Carnival Cruise Lines will buy a ship for a billion dollars, right? But then it could be depreciated down to 500 million at one point. Well, that makes it look like they're earning a really high return on, sure. on equity later on. Mm -hmm. So what's really more important is like the cash return on it, but the cash return on the original investment. So if you buy a billion dollar ship and you don't pay taxes on it, and they basically don't, um, if you can generate, say, $100 million a year mm -hmm. in cash flow, in, in operating cash flow, right, mm -hmm. from it, then that is okay, okay? But you have to do something like that. You need something like a 10% return on it in, ca in cash terms. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of the number that really matters more. And, and um, you need to look into the business to figure that out. Um, that's something we have to, to say because they don't really like break that out. Like no. say, Hey, this is what, but that's know. how the managers think more, or at least that's how the people running the business. So think. how do you find that then? Uh, there's information about it and there's ways to guess it. Mm -hmm. Um, for some companies we literally use the gross number. We said, here's what it would look like net, but here's what it looked like gross. Um, so if these things had never been depreciated, um, and, and, and then what you can do is you can sort of, um, find the bounds of what the reality is. So you may not know exactly the right way to measure something in terms of what you want to know as an owner, but you know that both realities are a little wrong. It's not as bad as if um, you're looking at the return on the original investment, right? But it's also not as good as if you're looking at the return on a completely depreciated asset now. So it's somewhere in between. That A lot of accounting things work out that way. Where, See, the thing with accounting is it's very precise, but it's not necessarily giving you the answers that you want to know. Sure. Yeah. So people get worked it's up really a lot. It's really just a starting point. Mm -hmm. And accounting is about recording things. That's yeah. the big difference that I think people don't understand a lot of times is, especially, um, we'll, we'll, all of this that we'll be talking about is GAAP, yeah. so generally accepted mm -hmm. accounting principles for the U.S. Um, most, a lot of the rest of the world uses a different um, form of accounting, IFRS, mm -hmm. um, and there are some differences there. But what we're talking about is really, um, and it's gotten away from this a little bit over time, like I mentioned Berkshire, with mark to market and things like that. Yeah. But historically it had been about recording specific transactions. So you don't mark something up just because you know it's more valuable. Mm -hmm. So I talked about a Timberland company before. Well, it has been appraised before and they can mention the fact it's been appraised, but if you, they didn't sell off part of the land, okay, you don't record that as a transaction and change things in the value of the asset. So it, people can get confused about the fact that an accountant's job is not to present this is what the value of the company is, yeah. but to use actual events, uh, actual transactions for all the uh, way in which you present things. And that's the general principle to going through it all is that you need an actual uh, transaction that you can record. It's about record keeping. Yeah, right? yeah. exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I always say, I mean, people sometimes they say, well, accounting is all finance or finance is all accounting. It's, mm -hmm. it's actually, no, I mean, Accounting is all historical stuff, really, sure, right? And right. finance is all what's going to happen in the future, I think, mm -hmm. if you think about it sort of like that. Yeah, yeah but the accounting is very important. It's just that, it, so even when we're talking about something like uh, like uh, the timber company and stuff, it's important. It's giving you information. It's giving you historical information that you can then go use. Mm -hmm. You can say, okay, well, what year do I think that happened in? And, and all these different things about you know the information that you have there, like, You'll find a company and see, oh, they bought land or whatever. You know that the land is on the books at fifty thousand dollars. Well, yeah. if no other transactions happened over the years, then we know that they had that property fifty years ago. Yeah, it's probably you can try to calculate what that value would be now. Yeah, you know mm -hmm. you can guess at it. So 
you can use information from that you get from accounting to come up with your estimates. But your estimates aren't based on what can be reported in earnings or book value or something. That doesn't actually matter to you, right? What matters to you is the cash flow you can take home at the end of the day, mm-hmm. what the value of the assets would be if it was bought or Refunded sold free by cash other flow. people. What? And that's it, free cash yeah. flow? Yeah. yeah, so free cash flow. Uh-huh. And how do you and how do you typically calculate free cash flow? And I know it's different for every business. Uh, so free cash flow. Gen- so the way that I calculate it, the way I think about it, is a steady state. Okay. So a business normally is doing some things. It's growing. Mm-hmm. It um, may be opening new stores. Um, sometimes it may be collecting money ahead of time, like like Omnicom or something like that. Or it's opening new stores, like Tandy did this past year. Or um, it, it, it's doing certain other things that are causing a change in this year every single year. Okay. And this is a concept that's hard for people to understand. What you want to do is you want to calculate as if they stopped growing as if they ne- neither grew nor shrank mm-hmm. so that you have a steady state. And that is a difficult concept to understand because that'll never happen in the history of the company. If sure. you look at it, but that's what you need to do. Otherwise you're counting changes that are happening because the company is growing or shrinking. And when you mention free cash flow, that's a big issue. So if a company shrinks, depending on the company, if it has a year where it actually contracts quite a bit in business, it may in that year produce a large amount of free cash flow. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, for instance, if you had a lot of inventory and then you sell it down without replacing it because you're expecting bad things to happen this this year, you know, like in a financial crisis, you'll see a lot of times in the financial crisis, companies like a retailer or something, their inventory actually drops. And that produces more free cash flow than you'd expect. Um, but if you think about it in terms of a steady state, then you won't run into that problem. Mm-hmm. And that's what you always want to do. Interesting. Interesting. And getting back to like other accounting topics. Mm-hmm. Um, so like when you when you are, let's say, looking at the balance sheet. Right. Is there anything in particular that you like to see? Um, well, I mean, there's simple stuff. What you look at first is total liabilities. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, because you just assume that all liabilities are are real and they're the amount that it says there. Mm -hmm. Some may be even higher that you have to assume, and and you get into that, like the pension stuff and how that's accounted for. Um, But that's the first thing that you look at. That's not very interesting because there's not a lot you need to do to figure that out. So a lot of times the things that are most important are pretty simple. So one of the first things you do is look at cash versus total liabilities. Mm, Do you take like a percentage of... of of those two line items like oh like i'm trying to think like when i sometimes when i'm looking at a balance sheet it, mm-hmm. i'll just like break it down it's so basic right i'll bake i'll break down like okay accounts receivable is x percentage of total assets or cash is x percentage of total oh, assets okay. or like long-term mm-hmm. pp and e's i mean just in my those. head automatically i'll pair things off yeah mm-hmm. so i'll say okay does cash cover all of total liabilities mm-hmm. no okay does cash and receivables cover all of total liabilities? Oh, okay. Does cash receivables and inventory cover it all? Yeah. You know, things like that, uh, pairing it off. Like I said, pairing off receivables and payables, accrued expenses, things like that. Um, very quickly figuring out, like, the networking capital that you have. A lot of that is looking and immediately just comparing the numbers, not having to do the math to figure out the differences. Uh-huh. Um, and seeing what items are really big. Depending on the company, some items matter a lot. Um, like I mentioned, cruise ships and stuff, then you pay a lot of attention to property planning and equipment. But for most companies, people are going to look at it. in the modern economy. Um, PP&E isn't that important. It's just not a big item. When you, um, how do you think about companies that are consistently reinvesting their cash aggressively 
and foregoing profits in order to like gain scale. Um, sort of like Amazon's you plus right. trading, so then which w- was a question by the right. way from a listener. Okay, so it wouldn't produce free cash flow, which is the issue there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the steady state part that I was talking about. So what you want to do is try to figure out well what ha- would happen if they didn't grow. Mm-hmm. That's the easiest way to do it. So what would happen if Amazon didn't grow next year? If it didn't and it produced a lot of cash flow, then that's all that you need to know. You don't need, want to penalize the company for for um, investing in growth Growing, that yeah. way. Yeah, mm-hmm. you do if they aren't producing a lot of. Um, capital and uh um that you can actually be like they aren't producing a lot of free cash flow in a steady state so um that that's a question like um i don't know what companies we talked about where that's been an issue recently um mostly we haven't talked about companies that are that bad that way maybe tandy's the closest a company that tends to earn but even then they produce a fair amount of free cash flow overall um but some companies tend to sort of produce earnings that are actually just receivables, their inventory, sure. like the more of that, mm-hmm. and their actual returns in cash terms are pretty low. Um, so that's something that you have to look at um, um, with this specific business. Each of these things, you know, it depends on the company. So the the first thing that you do always is do the steady state uh, check that I said. Imagine the company doesn't grow. What do I think it would look like mm-hmm. in terms of free cash flow? Um, so you back out things like CapEx and stuff like that. Um, but then the other thing that you have to look at is once you find an answer to that, like investigate more what the issue is here. Like, you know, I'm making something up, but say Amazon or something was investing in um, uh, warehouses or something. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you have to do an investigation into that of, okay, what does that mean? Are these things um, full when they first start? Like we looked at company MSC Industrial Direct, mm-hmm. and uh, they have very few distribution centers. So when they opened up a new one, it was not very full at all for several years. So margins would be depressed, and then they get better over like five years. You don't want to count the one bad year. You want to count overall what sure. it'll be. And so you mm-hmm. can think in terms of payback periods and stuff. Mm-hmm. We use a lot of talking about payback periods. Like um, it, when we look at village uh, supermarket or something, we say, okay, if they build a new supermarket, how long does it take for them to earn back all the money they put into it? And you know, if, if Amazon's earning back their money really quickly, yeah then that's fine. Mm-hmm. But if it, the payback period is really long, if you have a 10-year payback period, then that could be a serious uh, issue. But no company that has you know, a three-year payback period is something that you'd have to worry about. Interesting. So in, in, in closing, if somebody wants to become a better account or sharpen their accounting skills, right, mm-hmm. and how it relates to investing, you think the best way is to just read a 10K? Yeah, yeah. read 10K. And then specifically how, when they break it out and what it means. I would, I would agree with that. Yeah, look up the terms that you see as you find them and try to figure out how it works. I was talking to someone recently and th- they were saying that they really couldn't evaluate companies like um, Time Warner and some other ones like that because they didn't understand um, movie accounting. Mm-hmm. Okay, They didn't understand film accounting, which is very different from all sorts of other uh, other kinds. Films content is, is treated very differently. So you just have to read and understand those things. It's not like an accountant has received any sort of training that's specific to that industry. Mm-hmm. right? So they don't know anything about doing that. They have the principles that they understand and they understand how amortization normally works and things like that. Mm -hmm. And they understand they have a greater understanding of that in terms of like comparing to other things, you know? Um, So it's, it's easy for them, but what matters is really if you're going to look at, uh, you know, Warner brothers or something, you need to understand how they handle the accounting themselves. And if they write everything off within 10 years, another company writes off within 15 
Yeah. You know, sure. Um, you need to understand that. Mm-hmm. And that's stuff that you can find in reading about it. it. It's true that if you read those notes, not understanding accounting, it sounds like there's no way you could figure out what they're saying. Mm-hmm. But you go through it and you say, okay, what are the terms I don't understand? And you have the internet. So you can look those yeah. things up and get descriptions of it and try to figure out what that means. Um, and it's just the parts that are, you have to worry about what's relevant for that particular company. Sure. So like with a movie company, it's huge what their film library is. That's very important. So that accounting is very important. But for um, Tandy, it's worrying about like how they account for inventory and things like that. So with each 10K you read, you're going to learn about a different topic. And that's going to be the thing you focus on naturally because it's the one part that matters. Got it. Well, that's perfect. Any other thoughts on accounting? Nope. That's it. I think you hit it on the head well. Well, we really want to thank everybody for tuning in uh, to the Focus Compounding Podcast. Um, if you are interested in receiving our free weekly memos, be sure to go to focuscompounding.com and you'll see there's a spot there to enter in your email to receive a weekly memo from Jeff on an investing principle. Um, that's the investing principle parts. If you're interested in individual stocks, um, you can actually become a member. And if you use the podcast promo code, which I said in the beginning, it will give you money off the subscription price. Other than that, we want to thank everybody for tuning in and we'll see you in the next podcast.